Hey there, you're listening to Chase Stories Chats with Marcelino Perez, a series where I sit down with friends and talk about their life stories and journeys. We dive into their passions and how they got to where they are now, discussing the good, the bad, and the funny all along the way. Everyone has an important story to share, and there are valuable lessons we can take away from each one. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to another Chase Stories chat. I have my friend Mike DePinto here with me. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Mike and I met randomly in a hostel in Cartagena, Colombia about three years ago, where I think the majority of this hostel was from California. <laughs> from the yeah, Bay Area. <laughs> I, think, I think there was about six of us in this hostel from California. So the Bay Area and California runs strong in, in Colombia here. <laughs> Guess so. Yeah. Um, before we start, Mike, uh, we're starting off with the cheers. I've got my my White Claw. I saw you got your beer ready. Yeah. Crack open this one. <laughs> cheers, man. Thank you. Cheers. Appreciate you joining today. Of course. And we're starting off with a, um, a really hard question for you. And we've been, I've been doing this for everybody. Are you familiar with the red panda? No. no. Right, like the animal? I mean, I, I've seen the it. Animal. <laughs> um, my question is, if you've seen the animal, is it a raccoon or a panda? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. I think it's a mix, right? Like a- Hey, I don't know. I don't a know. raccoon and a panda just they they you know they loved each other very much and and that was the result. <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> That's why I asked everybody. There um, you go. The other time I'll save this for another one too. But uh, I was, it was, it was, the question was either the red panda or what's a platypus? Is it a, a duck or? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> Mike. Um, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are, where you're from, um, and what you do? Yeah, uh, so I am Mike. I'm from California, as you said. I'm from San Diego. Um, and uh, I went to school for civil engineering. Um, and uh, when I graduated, I worked for a bit in, in civil engineering, uh, just in like a private company, a, few, a couple private companies in San Diego and and the Bay Area and around California. Um, and just, yeah, it wasn't really what I was looking to do. It didn't really uh, fulfill me at all. So um, I ended up trying to work in international development. Um, so first I I left my job to, because I was uh, trying to get into it and it's pretty hard without any experience to get yeah. into that field. So I left my job to go teach English in Ecuador. And that's actually when we met. I was yeah, you, were, you were traveling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I stopped in Colombia first um, as just because my buddy was teaching English there. And I just thought it'd be a cool trip and get to check out Colombia. Uh, so then I taught English in Ecuador for about six months. And then I came home and was looking for jobs. I was doing a little bit of uh, work online for another civil engineering company in California. Um, but finally, I found this position with the Red Cross uh, working on the island of St. Martin, um, helping to uh, repair houses from the hurricane, uh, Hurricane Irma, which is about the same time as Hurricane Maria, which hit Puerto Rico. Um, they were within like two weeks of each other, which is crazy, two massive Category 5 hurricanes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for the past two years about, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I've been here on and off. Um, wow. working on that program. Were you there when the hurricane happened? No, no, no. Uh, I think it hit, I think it hit when I was in Ecuador actually. Um, cause it was 2017 and I got here, uh, in July of 2018. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I remember you telling me about the civil engineering thing, but I didn't know about the international development. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you know, since, uh, since we met, that's a yeah. <laughs> newer development. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, that process of, you know, you working in civil engineering and kind of realizing that it wasn't fulfilling you um, and, you know, how that went about? Was there 
did you feel any regret deciding or realizing that, you know, this wasn't what I want to do, even though you might have gone to school for it and, you know, just sort of your thoughts behind all of it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I definitely no regret to hit that first. Like I'm still using my civil engineering degree because we're repairing houses. So I'm just using it in a different way. Yeah. Um, everyone I work with is either a engineer or an architect. Um, uh, he, that's in, you know, my level of the program. We work with a lot of local people as well, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, but I basically, when I was in, um, college, I joined a club called engineers without borders, um, which is a really cool club. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I'm sure everyone's heard of doctors without borders. It's, it's similar to that, but it's more geared towards engineers, obviously, and, uh, students. Uh, it's very student oriented. So it was a cool club where we got to plan projects to do in developing countries around the world as students yeah. out of college um, with, you know, uh, we had we had some advisors and, and stuff, but it was still totally up to us. It wasn't like we were being told what to do. We got to I joined when the club was uh, well, the club was older, but we started a new team. So we had already had a team in Thailand, a team in um a team in Thailand, a team in um, Nicaragua, and a team in India. And then when I joined my team, we didn't even have a location yet. So we wow. were looking for a location, um, and we found uh, we we decided to go with Malawi in in Southern Africa, um, which was really cool. And I got to lead one of the first trips there, um, and it was an amazing experience. And I think that's what really did it for me, what made me want to do that. So, you know, yeah. after I graduated, I applied to all sorts of jobs. I think like everyone does when they, when they yeah, graduate. Of course. Uh, and, you know, I didn't hear anything back from the more international stuff I wanted to do, but I started to get responses from local stuff. Uh, so I did a few local jobs. Like I said, I think I worked about two years in, in um, construction and, and like construction management and civil engineering companies. Uh, and then, yeah, so I just, you know, most of that work is sitting at a desk on a computer all day, you know, um, working for wealthy companies or wealthy people making their, you know, offices or their house look nicer or, you know, something like that. And just, I don't know, it wasn't very fulfilling. Like, I don't think there's a specific moment. It's just, you know, two years of that, not really doing anything that you find that interesting or, or fulfilling and, and you know, looking for other things. And pretty much that whole time I was applying for other jobs. Like it, <laughs> uh, yeah. the international stuff is hard. And that's when I ended up quitting and going to Ecuador to teach English. Like it was a volunteer. It was not a job, a volunteer position for six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it was really cool. But uh, I, I think it, it helped me get into the line of work I'm in now is you need some sort of experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, growing up, did mm -hmm. you, um, were you really exposed to or worked with, you know, either like, you know, how some people do service trips, um, to like third world countries or whatever. Mm -hmm. Did you do stuff like that? Or was this something that you sort of figured out, um, after, you know, doing, working those couple of years, um, at those different jobs and realizing this isn't for me, I want to do something sort of bigger than myself and release, really, you know, make an impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I, I didn't do those kind of trips at all, really. Um, I worked a little bit like me and my dad sometimes would volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and like, but that's very local. We'd help build houses in San Diego yeah. um, for low income uh, uh, communities and families, um, which was cool. But that's the closest I ever got to that. Before, uh, before joining Engineers Without Borders, I'd only been out of the country twice once to Canada and once to Italy where I have family um, to visit family there. And those are the only two times before, before that. So that was, uh, you know, quite an eye opening experience for me. And, and yeah, for me, that's what really did it. That trip to Malawi and, and working with engineers without borders was really what, what triggered that, uh, that travel bug and that, that, uh, passion for this kind of work. Yeah, totally. Um, how was your experience teaching in Ecuador? Because uh, you said you got the travel bug, and then that's—I mean, you're—you're you're not fluent in Spanish, are you? 
No, um, I got a lot better in Ecuador before. Yeah. When I went to Ecuador, like it was <laughs> in Colombia, I had very little Spanish. <laughs> you know, a few years of of high school Spanish in in the U.S. in California, it wasn't very good uh, schooling. But uh, yeah, then living in Ecuador for six months, I lived with a host family for the first couple weeks, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they gave us classes for a couple weeks as well. Um, and that helped a lot. Uh, I'm still definitely not fluent, but I'm, uh, you know, I can, I can use it for work. I can use it to get around. Um, so that's, that's pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. Did you experience any culture shock in living there? I mean, six months is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty significant amount of time. Um, yeah. Did you have any, you know, any, uh, what would I say? Withdrawals from, <laughs> you know, not being outside the U S yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, one thing that helped is everyone in the program, because it was all volunteers, were American, mm-hmm. and we were all living in a house together, so that definitely lessened that aspect, but I mean, it still definitely happens. You're, you know, far from home, far from your friends and family. Um, I mean, you know, you make friends with the people you work with and live with and, and people there, but uh, yeah, you definitely, I think for me, that's the biggest thing, is being far from friends and family. Yeah. Um, and yeah, definitely the culture shock. We're like living with a host family for a couple of weeks was was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it was it was a really cool experience, but it was it was quite intense. And like they had, you know, two little kids, um, like I think like eight and ten or something. And <laughs> and yeah, it was it was very interesting um, living there. I'm trying to think of a, a good a good example or story uh were you like in rural ecuador or was it more in the city uh it was kind of i guess the closest thing you could say is a suburb um outside of the capital city of quito um but like yeah like just so quito is in this valley this big valley with two um mountains on each side and so it was just over one of the mountains on the other side there um Mm -hmm. so it's like you know 45 minutes by bus it's pretty close um but yeah i'd say it's, it's a bit more of a uh, suburb, so kind of in between. It wasn't the super rural part that you know uh, <laughs> you can see sometimes. That would have definitely been more of a culture shock. Like, yeah, you'd still go to uh, there was a mall and a supermarket, and like, so it wasn't wasn't that bad. Man, I thought you were going to be milking the cows for <laughs> milk or whatever, making cheese. Your boy oh. making the turning the butter. <laughs> I wish that would have been amazing. <laughs> oh man, that's cool though. I mean, I feel you. I mean, it takes a certain person and, you know, a lot of you, you got to be brave and willing to put yourself out there to move to a country um, that's, you know, South America is, a lot, I feel, depending on where you go. But, you know, it's pretty different than the U.S., especially the Bay Area or California. Um, and, you know, not being able to it's not your first language. Um, I mean, I'm sure you there's probably a lot of personal growth during that time for you? I feel like whenever somebody pushes themselves out of their comfort zone, you're, you're growing in some shape or form. Um, and I think that it's, it's helped you. I mean, now you have this job there in uh, St. Martin. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it helped a lot. It, it, uh, it, it was the first time I lived entirely like on my own away from, away from friends and family. You know, I always like in college, I lived with friends and afterwards I lived with friends and family and, yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely a big change, and yeah, having to learn Spanish kind of on the fly while you're you know trying to communicate yeah. with people, um, and yeah, just I think everything about it. Also, just teaching was really cool. I I yeah. never taught in that sense before. Um, yeah, so that was a cool experience as well. What were you teaching? English. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but it, I mean, it was interesting. We had all different groups, so we had like. We had kids come in teaching kids. We had adults. We had teachers. We had English teachers because there were local Ecuadorians that would teach English in yeah. elementary school. So we were teaching them English so <laughs> they could teach their kids. Um, I worked with uh, that was really cool too. I got to work with uh, the military. They were guys training to become UN peacekeepers. Um, and to become wow. a UN peacekeeper, you need to speak English. So mm-hmm. they used us to help teach them English. And uh, yeah, that was really cool to work with those guys. And at the end of their uh, like training, they they get, take a they do like a mock deployment for for a week in um, 
this really beautiful uh, city right on the beach or more of a town with a military base right on the beach in Ecuador. And so they flew us in one of those military cargo planes (laughs) from from Quito uh, all the way over there. And then, uh, like, for a week, we were just uh, basically pretending we were in a Middle Eastern country. The, the way they portrayed a Middle Eastern country might not be the most PC, but, uh, but, but it, was a, it was a cool experience. And, like, I, because I obviously am a fluent English speaker and we're trying to get them to speak English, they had maybe all these different people. Like, at one point, I'm representing someone from the UN. At one point, I'm representing press. And like the the trainers, the guys in charge were telling me like, just yell at them. They need to know. They need to practice. Just yell at them. So it was a lot of fun. I got to be screaming at these guys in English that are like, I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. And those have been intense going in that airplane. Yeah, it was. It was cool. It was. It was different. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And then from there, you said you went. It's, did you come back after? Yeah, yeah. So after I finished there, um, I went back to California um, and started looking for jobs again. Uh, I got something again online for a local um, engineering company, uh, just kind of helping out um, like part time job uh, until I and then I just applied to a bunch of places and finally heard back from this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah, I like. I, I think I applied. I got a interview the next week, and then two weeks later, I was on the island, <laughs> like wow. in the Netherlands. Because technically, yeah. I work for the Netherlands Red Cross um, because uh, this island is uh, split between two countries. the The southern half is um, sorry, a little bit of an explanation. It's part. It used to be part of the Netherlands. Now it's independent. Uh, but it's still part of the kingdom of the Netherlands, kind of like Canada or Australia or part of the Commonwealth of the UK, mm-hmm. um, kind of similar to that. Um, so it's independent, but it's it's still very close with the Netherlands. Um, so, yeah, I'm technically working for the Netherlands Red Cross. So I went there for a week first and then they sent me here um, after training. Yeah. yeah and, so it was pretty quick. Yeah, that's a super quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Um, so you, you said like right after the hurricane, that's when you went. Yeah, not quite right after. Cause it was in September of 2017 and I got here in July of 2018. So not quite a year, but close to it. Um, but yeah, the way these programs tend to work and, and this one had some problems starting up, so it was kind of slow, but you usually do like immediate recovery for the first three months. So that's things like food, water, uh, tarps, things like that um, to just, you know, keep people alive. And then after that three months, then you start up doing more of a long-term recovery program uh, like this, where you start rebuilding houses and trying to get jobs back and and things like that. Yeah. How has that experience been? Because I mean, I mean, I can't even imagine what it, it what it's like, and you know, being in in a third world country and having to restart from the ground up. You know. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's also interesting here too, because before the hurricane, it was it's pretty developed. Um, it, it was a huge tourist hub. Uh, there's it's the biggest deep water port in the Caribbean, so all of the cruise ships come through here. Uh, there's a very large airport, so lots of planes land. So there were lots of tourists before the hurricane. So before the hurricane, it was it was decently well off. But once the hurricane hit, uh, tourists stopped coming. A lot of the hotels and and you know bars and whatever tourist attractions were were damaged or destroyed. Um, so just a ton of people lost their jobs, and the economy was like ninety something percent tourism based. Wow, yeah. So without tourism, tourism dropped to like 20% of what it was before. So that just devastated the economy here. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite interesting. So like when I first got here, you know, there were tons of, of houses and buildings and things just still destroyed sitting there almost a year later. Wow. Uh, not only not repaired, but not even cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was interesting. It was almost like like some parts were still nice and fine, but some parts you'd go to were almost like a like you'd see in a post-apocalyptic movie. It was it was weird. Like I have this one picture. I think I actually deleted it. I couldn't find it the other day, and I was very upset. But I have this one picture. We went to this beautiful beach, like beautiful tropical paradise beach, 
um, in the Caribbean uh, on this island. And uh, they're like, I have my two friends laying on their towels on the beach, sunbathing, some palm trees in the background, and then just a completely collapsed building behind them. Wow. Like a large concrete building just collapsed. It's it's weird. Like, it, yeah, that's so strange. Yeah. And, and even now, three years later, there's still, you still see it. You still see damaged buildings. I mean, we're still here working. So we're still helping repair roofs and, you know, trying to get people back to where they were before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does it affect you seeing, seeing those kinds of buildings, seeing the, you know, the economy, you know, getting hit so hard? And obviously, I'm sure it's had big, huge impact on the people there, especially probably the ones that are most, you know, impoverished, you know, it's probably hit them the most. Mm -hmm. Does that affect you? Has, has there been, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like for me, when I've gone to the Dominican Republic, um, you see the the extreme wealth, and then you see the extreme poverty, and it, it's kind of hard to see the in between. And um, the, especially the first time I went, it really hit me hard. But there is at times after being around something, you kind of become desensitized to it. Um, yeah. And how you felt about that, especially when like when you first got there, and, and now. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's very perceptive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When I first got here, it's it's super hard to see and and it's it's very intense and like yeah after a while you do get used to it not out of you know any i don't know it's not malice or it's not you know uh i think indifference it's more just you have to when you're going out and seeing it every day you kind of have to get used to it and um yeah i think the the roughest part of that is like some you know you have to say no to some people our program you can't just accept everybody. We don't have the money, the time, or the, um, you know, expertise. Like we're rebuilding houses, but uh, it's mostly focused on repair. So a house that's totally destroyed, we can't really do anything for it because um, they need to totally rebuild. And telling that to someone that's, you know, maybe in a, a tent or a few, you know, tarps in a half destroyed building is, is pretty rough. Um, yeah but it's, it's the way it has to go sometimes because you want to help as many people as possible. Um, and sadly you can't help everybody. Mm -hmm. How does um, that, yeah, certainly it, uh, it affects you. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I'd be cut out to be able to say it, it takes a bit. You get used to it though. <laughs> um, what's the process for that and deciding like who, whose houses you rebuild or what buildings you, you help rebuild and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, there's a, there's a few things. One, as I said, it's a violent split between two um, two sides, two countries. So we're only allowed to work on the Dutch side. Um, the French side is the other side. It's uh, actually a part of France, so the French government has to uh, work on that side. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then to get more specific, we we work in certain areas. So. Um, you know, we work in different neighborhoods. Um, when we, when the hurricane first happened, basically uh, there was a meeting between the government and different um, different organizations like the Red Cross and like others um, that they basically split up the island and said, okay, you guys work here, you guys work here. And so at first we had nine districts we were working in. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, so we're on our second program now. So that was the first program. We worked in those nine districts. Um, we gave material to about, uh, a thousand houses in that, a little over a thousand houses. Um, and basically the way that one worked, uh, was more general, uh, people would sign up, they'd send their names in and then we'd go check their house. And if it was damaged, but not so damaged that it couldn't be repaired, then we'd, uh, help them pretty much, uh, <laughs> pretty straightforward. Um, so then, yeah, we finished that program in uh, the end of last year. And then this year we started a new program. Uh, we're working in different areas, uh, but now it's a little different. Instead of people registering, we go out. Uh, I've been getting to use the drone, which has been really cool. And we, oh, nice. map, we map the area with the drone. And then we have some people at headquarters that look at the maps and find the um, damaged houses and mark them on the map. And so then we go ourselves and check, you know, <clears throat> you 
is it damaged? Is it something we can help? Do people still live there? Uh, it's three years later, so a lot of places are just long abandoned um, and, and no one lives there. Um, and yeah, so then we do that. And if, if it you know fits all our criteria, then we talk to them. We do a little questionnaire with them about their social vulnerability. Um, so, you know, um, how much money they're making, if they have kids living in the house, um, if they're older, if they're healthy, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much how we take them in. And then, uh, this program's a little different. Last program, we mostly just gave material, <clears throat> but we realized during that, that a lot of, uh, people don't have the capacity to rebuild themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, so at the end of last program, we started making some construction teams that could go help them. And so they did about 150, 160 houses. Um, the construction team out of a little over a thousand. So like, yeah, not, not that much of them, but this program, we're only doing construction teams. So every house that we give material to also gets someone to build. Um, so it's, it's a lot less houses this time. We're going for 200. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more, I think more effective of a program. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. And Mike, do you see yourself doing like, do you feel international development? That's what you want to do. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think so. I really do enjoy it. It's it's you know very as I was saying, uh, the stuff at home wasn't very fulfilling. This this yeah. is really like it can be really hard and and annoying and you know like any other job it can suck sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know you're you're doing something that's helping people and and. I I enjoy it. I think I definitely would like to keep going in at least something similar to this. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, and, and that's super cool. That yeah, the 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 way that you're saying like it, it fulfills you, and that's how it's pushing you forward even during the tough times. So you know yeah. that you're you're like giving back, and that you know it's you're doing something that that has meaning, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. people are struggling to find nowadays. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think that can be a big problem with you know a lot of modern day, especially office jobs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Tough. And uh, I had a I talked with uh, one of my friends yesterday, and we, we were bringing this up. He worked at a tech job mm-hmm. for a while, and more not because he enjoyed it, but more because of the status that comes with being in a tech. And you know, people would start questioning, like they don't question you, like, oh, you do tech, cool. Like, so do I. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the thing right now. Um, and he was at, at one point kind of scared to, to get out of it because of what people would say. Um, yeah. He kind of felt like a, he like just, <laughs> he put a lot of weight on him, on himself um, to get out of it. Um, but I think it's super cool that you, you're like, this is what I want to do. And, and you went out and did it, um, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been cool so far. But yeah, I definitely think, like to what you're saying about your friend, like, yeah, it can be, it can be hard, especially if it's like a well-paying job. Yeah. Like tech usually is. Um, and, and engineering is as well. You know, if you have a well-paying steady job and you leave that to do something else, I think mm-hmm. it can definitely, you know, throw some people off. Like, why, why would you leave that job? That was the perfect job. Like, yeah, you know, it's not all about money. So. Mm-hmm, totally. And I, I, I'm hoping that through these talks, people kind of realize that, that mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's not all about money because, there's gonna there's gonna come a point where you just realize that it's it's more draining to do something that you don't love, and even though you're making more money than it is to you know put your time and effort into a passion that's really, you know, fulfilling you. Because when it's fulfilling you, you essentially like you're putting in, but you're also getting a lot more back. Mm-hmm. In terms of just like you know just mentally and, and spiritually, whatever it is, like it, it's almost like a like a cycle. It's going you're putting in and you're getting back a lot. Meanwhile, yeah. a job where you're not enjoying it, you're just putting in a lot. And I mean, you might be getting the paycheck, but at the end of the day, are you happy? Yeah. And yeah, that's a, a good point. And uh, like you, we were talking to, like, we met three years ago and it kind of got, went in a blink of an eye. Um, yeah. And, you know, time goes by quick. And if you're not doing what you love and you're, you're spending your time doing something you don't, time's going to go by in a blink of an eye. And you don't, that's the one thing, you don't get time back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, true. I mean, I'm hoping that people can kind of realize these talks like, hey, do 
what you want to do because you know you're gonna look back one day and be like oh shoot i should have done this oh man i wish i had done this and at least for me i don't you know one of my biggest fears is having regret at the end of the day mm-hmm. and so you know, I don't, that's a my, my little tangent <laughs> I'm, I'm with you man yeah it's uh definitely yeah, I think, and, and also like one thing I noticed when working at a at an office job is the days just blend together. So that you know, oh, yeah. time speeding up thing was so much worse. Um, when you're doing something you enjoy, you know, time still goes quick, but <laughs> you're you're at least enjoying it, and 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 you know, I think you maybe it's just your brain remembers it better, and that's why it feels slower. But <laughs> it yeah. Uh, yeah, it feels like a more uh, memorable time of your life. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, Mike, what's your living situation? So you live you you live on an island. Are there any cr- fun critters on that island that, that get into get into your place? <laughs> uh, not fun. <laughs> uh, no, I mean um, really mostly the the usual like mosquitoes always. Um, there's some flies, uh, cockroaches sometimes. Um, that's about all that get into my apartment. Um, but there's some, there's some interesting stuff on the island, some cool spiders. And apparently people keep telling me this. I've been here for two years and I've never seen them. There's apparently monkeys in, really? in the like, mountains of the island. Like, uh-huh. And apparently it, you can find them. But I've, I've gone on hikes there. I've driven through there. I've never seen them. I'm so mad. <laughs> like, I want to see these monkeys. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, who knows? Do you have like a timeline for how long you're going to be there? Yeah, so actually, uh, uh, my contract was supposed to end at the end of this month, but um, because of COVID and because of a couple other things, uh, I, I'm changing job positions, actually. I extended till the end of November now, so I'll be here for another six months or so. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Um, let's talk a bit about traveling, because you've done a bit of traveling now. Yeah, um, yeah. We can... Uh, what... So... When we were in Colombia, were you? You said you were with one of your friends. Uh, so not exactly. One of my friends was teaching English in Colombia, um, but he was not in Cartagena. He was in um, a, a place called Pereira, mm-hmm. Colombia, um, and it's kind of in the center of Colombia, and that's where he's teaching. So I went to uh, Cartagena first, and and. Uh, hung out there uh, for for a few days, and then I went and visited him, and then I went to to Ecuador. Nice. So, what was your experience? Tra- you were on your own for those first couple of days. Yeah. What was your experience? You know, you know, li- being in a hostel. Have Had you done a hostel stuff before? Yeah, but never by myself. I'd always been with friends. Mm-hmm. How was that experience uh, traveling on your own? Actually, really great. Um, yeah, I was a little nervous before doing it because I, I traveled a lot, but usually with people um, and like, or I, you know, maybe I'd fly by myself, but I'd meet someone where I was going, um, like like a friend who was already there. Um, so that was, I think, my first real experience traveling by myself, and it was awesome. I mean, uh, I met so many cool people in that hostel, like you, <laughs> and like, uh, you know, half of them were Californians, but... <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's so weird. Like everyone was like, where are you from? Oh, California. What? Why? Yes. We're all from California. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, that was a really cool trip. Um, and really, I think, gave me the confidence to to travel alone more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been great. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always uh, tell people this story when we were there. I don't know if you were with us that night, but my friend... Uh, Rachel and I, she was one of the first people I was traveling with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah, I remember her. Yeah, yeah. So she she and I were on the top of the of the hostel where they had a little bar. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing this shirt. It's a, it, one of the shirts is like a Bay Area brand. Mm-hmm. And these two, these three girls, essentially, I felt like I got attacked and mobbed. They surround me. They're like, are you from the Bay Area? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like. Yeah, I am. And they're, they're like, we just like started talking. I'm like, I mean, what are the odds? <laughs> Bay. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm from East Palo Alto. They're from like the Berkeley area. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all places to find a bunch of people from Berkeley and in the East Bay, the, in, in the middle of Cartagena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was very strange. <laughs> yeah. Cool, that was a nice, nice vibe. It was. I mean, I, 
I mean, I, for anybody who, you know, is on the fence about traveling and traveling alone, I will always tell them, do it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like you talked about how it gave you the confidence um, to travel alone. Um, I know for me, it just traveling alone as well gave me not only the confidence to travel alone, but just to be in situations where, you know, I may not know anybody, but I can still be comfortable and still, you know, make connections or try to make connections. Uh, and yeah, you pushing that comfort zone. I feel like, you know, traveling alone has really done that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's a cool thing too, especially in like hostels. It's so easy to meet people that it, it you know, it feels like almost the, you know, first semester of college when you're in the dorms and just everyone's out and talking to each other. And yeah, it kind of reminds you that you can do that in your everyday life. It doesn't have to be at a hostel. Like people in general are pretty chill. Like you can just go up and talk to them. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like uh, when, if you're not traveling alone or like in the hostel, you, you kind of get the sense like everybody's very guarded. Mm -hmm. Hard to go to. But I, I feel like once you... In a sense, if you put your guard down and are vulnerable and are open to it, people are much more receptive, even in everyday life and not in, in the hostels. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's it's cool. I definitely, it gives you a new perspective a bit, you know, because I think, yeah, like you're saying, you get used to both traveling and just at home normally, like, you know, you have like, this is my group of friends and that's who I talk to. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. and you remember like, there's, you know, there's a whole world out there. You can talk to anyone, you can go places, see things like there's so much more you can experience uh, if you just put yourself out there. Oh, totally. And I definitely, do you recommend traveling to Colombia? Yeah, absolutely. It, it like when people say, oh, it's, you know, it's dangerous. It's scary. Like, no, no, no. That was, that was maybe the nineties. Now it's, it's so cool. <laughs> like I know. Oh man, I loved. I mean, I have. So my family, my grandma is from Cali, mm -hmm. Cali, Colombia. So I went there for a couple of days, and then that, then after that, I flew up to the coast to Cartagena, mm -hmm. um, and that was my first time actually going to Colombia and, and meeting a lot of my family, which is super cool um, to do. But you know, I'd never been, and I would. I definitely want to go back. I'm trying to find the time to do it because it's it's so beautiful. Um, you've got coasts, you've got mountains. Yeah, they got everything, man. <laughs> you've got uh, Aguardiente. Did you have Aguardiente? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> that's, uh, that's an experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, a, how would you describe the taste? To me, it was like a... It's like black licorice. It's like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like a... I guess it's kind of similar to Jaeger, but it's, but it's clear. Uh, and like not as good, not as good. Like, yeah, not as good. Not as sweet, not as <laughs> drinkable. <laughs> but it's good. It's a good drink. Yeah, it is. Mike, do you have a, a favorite travel story? Oh yeah, um, I, ha I have a few. <laughs> um, I think uh, doesn't have to be from Colombia. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, I have a few good ones. I like some of my, my favorite countries uh, were Colombia, mm -hmm. uh, Thailand was amazing, um, and uh, I liked Malawi a lot. But that was more of a work trip than, yeah. <laughs> than an actual trip trip. Um, but okay, let's see a good travel story. I have I have one. I ran with the bulls in. In uh, Pamplona, oh, hey. Spain. Yeah, <laughs> I did the running. Did a bull come close to poking you in, in up the butthole <laughs> with their horns? <laughs> it depends what you mean by close. <laughs> no, uh, I, I can tell the story if you want. Um, so uh, it's a, it was it was pretty crazy. Me and my buddy were were in Spain. This was right after I graduated college. Um, yeah. So I did the classic, you know, trip to, well, first I went to Thailand for a few weeks and then I went to Europe and met up with some friends there. Um, so we went to Spain and uh, we went to like Madrid, Barcelona, both really cool. Um, and then we went to uh, Pamplona, which is where the running of the Bulls Festival is. And uh, I didn't realize that was happening when we went, <laughs> like until we already were like planning our trip and thinking about going there. And we looked and like, oh shit, it's that, it's that week we're there. Um, so yeah, we, we go, um, we were not at all planning to run. We were like, oh, we'll go, you know, watch these idiots run and get, get destroyed by bulls. 
Um, but then my, so, so the reason for the running of the bulls, the, the reason that is a tradition is because uh, it's the festival day of San Fermin. So the St. Fermin, um, I think you'd say in English. Yeah. Uh, um, it's his festival and they do bullfights. Uh, and bullfights in Spain are the real brutal kind where they kill the bulls. They have a matador with a sword and everything. Um, and my friend was a, is a hunter and he wanted to go see the bullfights. And I was like, I, I didn't know that much about them. I'd heard a little bit. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll check them out. It's something cultural. And then we go and watch and it's both extremely brutal and terrible and also in some way somewhat beautiful. It's hard to explain because it is like really like disturbing and, and you know, I, I really, I love animals. <laughs> I'm not at all that type of person that's into watching them get hurt. Um, and so basically we're like halfway through watching this and it's, it's, it's pretty intense and, and, you know, I'm definitely, uh, feeling some emotions <laughs> and uh i turned to my friend and i'm like you know we're watching these guys die we got to give them a chance i'm running tomorrow with them <laughs> i'm like you don't have to if you don't watch me he's like yeah fuck yeah i'm running <laughs> and we're like okay so after that we go back to our hotel um and like you know it's it's a big party everyone's outside on the streets drinking and we're like no 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 we're gonna prepare we go back we watch some youtube videos we're doing our research like all right how do we do this Stretching, warming up. Exactly. <laughs> Drinking some raw eggs. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we like make a whole plan and then we go out the next morning. There's uh basic because it's just through the city streets, through these old yeah. this old Spanish town. It's really crazy. So there's just like buildings on both sides, and then at the intersections, they put up just wood barriers, and that's where all the people stand and watch from. Um, but there's also screens all over the buildings showing like highlights of, of, you know, previous years or previous days. Cause I think it's a seven day festival. Um, and the highlights means, you know, people getting hit by the bulls. <laughs> that's, that's the highlights. Um, and so we go out there, we find our spot. We, we learn from our research that we should try to get at like the top of a hill so we can see the bulls coming and try to get on the inside of a corner. Cause they, the bulls are big. They take the corners wide. So uh -huh. Um, so we find our spot and it's packed. We're like pushing through people. Like it's like a concert or something. It's crazy how packed it is. And we're like, there's no way this is happening. Like how the bulls aren't going to fit anywhere. <laughs> the people can't run. But then like five minutes before or so the, the, um, screens start counting down. And, uh, I think about, yeah, about five minutes before everyone just leaves and we're like do they know something we don't this is this is more scary like why is everyone leaving and then we're like kind of alone for a second and then uh everyone starts singing this like chant uh this this traditional song i think mm -hmm. and then we see a group of of the like real spanish guys who uh, you can tell do it every year and are like waiting for this all year long they come walking up and everyone's in there like those white shirts white yeah. coats with the red belt and the red bandana um and they come walking up and find their spots and i guess what i learned later is they all pray at the um at the the shrine to to san fermin um and then find their spots right before it starts and then once they find their spots um there's like we we you know we see some people we see some american guys that we're talking to like you guys are doing it too they're like yeah yeah and they're like going over to find another spot and we're like all right hopefully we see you at the end <laughs> like, hopefully. like um and then uh then we see a bunch of cops and paramedics start coming out and they start pulling out anyone they think won't be able to handle it so some people yeah. have been partying all night long and are still drunk and they pull them out yeah. um there was a lady with a purse and they pulled her out like you're not allowed to have anything um the worst is there's one lady who was bawling uh and i think she was she was speaking english uh, i don't know she might have been british or i don't remember but anyway she's bawling in her and her i think husband or boyfriend or something's there and she's like you're making me do this i don't want to do this he's like i'm not making you you can leave she's like no you're making me and then <laughs> the cops grab her and pull her out <laughs> but then anyway so then we get down to it like um there gets like less than a minute left they all start doing this crazy chant song again. Um, and like, you can just feel the tension, like everyone's jumping up and down and chanting. And, you know, I don't know any of the words, but I'm still <laughs> joining in and jumping and, you know, humming basically. Um, and then 
a rocket goes off. Uh, well, no, sorry. First, the, the countdown starts five, four, three, two, one, and then a rocket goes off. And that means the gates are open to let the bulls out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when it really gets intense. And then you hear another rocket, and that means all the bulls are out. Um, Jeez. And then we're standing there. We're, we're pretty close to the beginning, but not right at it. So we didn't see them open. But then we just see this mass of people and behind them a row of, I think it's 12 bulls. Because um, they have uh, six that fight at, the, at night and then six other ones that kind of lead them and, and go with them. Um, and so, yeah, we just see like 12 bulls following. There's just massive people running away. And we're like, oh, shit, here they come. And we're getting all pumped up. And then as soon as the massive people get there, we just start running and it's one of those things. I have no fucking idea. It could have been. It could have been twenty feet. It could have been like half a mile. I have no idea how far I ran. Um, yeah. You just run, and then all of a sudden you're slammed up against the side by a group of people. And I had like you know, I think two people in front of me. So one on me and one in front of him. And then the the bulls come running by. And even though they're way closer than they ever were when I was running, I felt way safer because I had two people between me. Like, <laughs> can't get through three people. I'm I'm fine. Um, run just in case take him exactly push him out of the way um and then the bulls pass the people in front of me kind of leave some chase the bulls a lot of the people they because they're running them to the stadium so a lot of people follow the bulls and me and my friend come off and you know we find each other and we look at each other we're like should we follow them like run after them go to the um go to the stadium and, and we're like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And then we hear from the crowd, uno tortoro, uno tortoro, which means one more pull, one more pull. And we're like, what, one more pull? And we're looking around and we like look at each other and we're just like, all right, fuck it. And we just sprint like as fast as we can down this, this track. I mean, the whole thing, it's not that long. It's probably a mile and a half or so. Um, yeah, I think it's like two, two to three kilometers. So yeah, like a mile and a half. Um, and, uh, we get to, we like each corner we get to, we like stop, look behind us, no bull, okay, run again. Um, and then we finally get to the stadium and we come into the stadium and you're down on the floor where all the, um, you know, it's all, it's all dirt floor. It's where the bulls fight at night. Um, and there's, the stands are packed and there's screens all over. So we're like, oh, everyone's here to, you know, watch the, the race on the, on the screens. And so, again, they're showing replays. They're showing people getting just gored. And they show, we, we end up finding out what happened with the Uno Trotoro, the one more bull, was it came out, immediately slammed someone into the wall, just straight out of the gate, and then went back into the gate. He's like, fuck this, I'm done. <laughs> I got my kill for the day. <laughs> I'm good. Um, That's intense. It was really intense. And then we, like, find the other American dudes we saw at the beginning. We're like, oh, you guys made it too. Yeah, this is awesome. And they're like, all right, all right, let's uh, let's get out of here. And then the screens start counting down. Five, four, three. We're like, what the fuck? And they let out what they call a baby bull. It's still like five feet, like half a ton, yeah. but it's not a full-sized bull. And it has uh, caps on its horn, but they just let it out into the ring and people just try to fuck with it and it like slams them. It's what? crazy. Me and my friend are watching. It's like, what the fuck? Like people just run up and try to like tap it on the nose with a with a news rolled up newspaper or something, and then just throws them in the air. Um, and like, yeah, its horns aren't gonna stab you, but that's still gonna hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and so we jump up against the side, and then um, we <laughs> we're watching this and watching people get hit, and we're like, all right, fuck this, and we try to jump over the side of the like railing, yeah. and there's a cop behind us who pushes us back in, and he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you chose this, you idiots. <laughs> like, you stay in there. And so then uh, finally the, the bulls go, but they, like, try to corral the bull back in. That's how they get it out of there. They corral it back into the um, gate. And then this countdown starts again, and that's when we bail. We're like, nope, done. <laughs> that was enough. Man. But yeah, it was a fucking crazy experience. That's insane. Yeah, really cool. And the cool thing about it was I, I kind of thought it, like, it's pretty well known around the world. So you kind of expect it to be like a super touristy thing, but it wasn't at all. It was super Spanish. Like almost everyone we met there was was Spanish. There were, like I said, a few American guys we met, a few tourists, but almost everyone was Spanish, which was really cool to have a real cultural experience like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I I would have expected the like you said a bunch of uh, a bunch of tourists there, uh, foreigners. Um, yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was really crazy. I've had to tell it a lot, so I've I've gotten it kind of down now. I, I mean, I don't know if you saw me. I was like, 
<laughs> Eating your popcorn. <laughs> I, I was trying to calm down the nerves. Of it. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Good. I'm glad it was tense. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Mike. We're, we're getting to the end here. Um, before we go, do you have any advice for people that, you know, maybe either struggling to figure out what they want to do with their life or are in a situation kind of like yourself where they're kind of realizing that they're not fulfilled um, in what, what they're doing. Do you have any advice for someone who may be going through something like that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, the first and I know at this point it's pretty cliche, but it's just, you just got to keep trying, you know, um, that's the biggest thing. You just keep pushing it. Like I said, I, I applied probably to a couple hundred jobs like this before I got this one. Yeah. And it took quitting my job and volunteering in, in another country um, and, you know, uh, not making money for a while to, to finally get it. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it just takes that. And, and you know, I think do also do a lot of research on what you want to do. See, see really how to do it. Um, I know you hear like in these kind of things with, with like celebrities and stuff, they always say, Oh, you just got to try and you'll get it. And it's like, that's not the real world. But if, if you, you know, if you're smart, if you think about it, if you really do your research and, and try and, and um, you know, make it work, you, you can, you can get something, you know, you might not be some super famous person or have your perfect dream job, but uh, you can, you can, you know, get something that at least you are happy with and, and uh, makes you feel fulfilled and, and, you, uh, you, you know, makes your life more interesting. Oh, totally. Sweet. Mike, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. It was a, uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, dude, this is fun. Um, yeah. are you open and okay with, um, if someone is interested in what you're doing, um, or wanted to ask you more questions, would you be okay? You know, opening up a line of communication, whether it be email, Instagram, whatever, um, for someone to yeah, do that for sure um yeah probably instagram is the best um let me remember what my uh <laughs> my name is yeah so it's just uh mike m-i-k-e underscore depinto d-e-p-i-n-t-o sweet and i will put that when when this comes out in the description as well if you uh if anybody would like to talk to them, ask more about what he does or, you know, has similar interests in that field um, so they can reach out to you. Awesome. Sounds good. We Mike, one more cheers before we go. Thank yeah, you. Of course. Cheers. cheers. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Of course. And uh, we'll be talking soon. For sure. All right. Thanks. Bye.